the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faith. Oh. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey, and I'm here with my colleague Kurt Livens tonight. Hello, Kurt. Hello, Bruce. It was so great to see you in, in person a couple of weeks ago, and uh, here we are watching Oilers games again. So, Yeah, it's just coming up. Yeah, I hadn't seen either of you guys for a long time, and uh, it's kind of fun to get together for a quick cup of coffee there and uh, and uh, uh, just uh, catch up in person a little bit. So, I had to smile at David's comment. He said, of course, I forgot to take a picture again. There's never any mm-hmm. proof that the three of us are in the same place at the same time. <laughs> it does happen, but uh, too rarely. Yes. So anyway, uh, what has, what also is happening is hockey, hockey, hockey. We're finally back. And uh, when, when last we had a podcast, which was now over a week ago, so we're, we're overdue, and uh, uh, David is... Uh, uh, out of the country so he's been unavailable to he can't even log in to write posts so he's been out of the loop for a while so uh there was no way we could undertake doing podcasts after every game but uh we're prepared to make an exception for the first game but also maybe make some more general comments and just simply focus on one preseason game which uh tonight edmonton oilers opened the preseason with a four nothing Shut out. I was going to say beat down, but I don't think that's fair to the Jets. Uh, they want to shut out the Jets uh, four to nothing with one very, very early goal and three late ones and a whole lot of fairly competitive, decent hockey uh, in between times, mostly played by uh, second tier players and uh, tweeners and, and uh, what I sometimes call scrubs or, you know, training camp extras. Uh, that may have a role in the distant future, but probably don't right away. But not much sign of the stars tonight, Kurt. No. Um, I thought it was a pretty decent hockey game, considering A, the lineup, and B, the fact that it was the first preseason game of the year. Usually mm-hmm. there's scrambly affairs from minute one to minute 60, and there certainly were scrambly moments. It certainly wasn't a perfect hockey game, but pretty entertaining. And uh, and I agree with you. I don't think it was a beatdown. I think the Jets kept it pretty close. Uh, in, until late in the third period. Certainly thought the Oilers had the more skilled of the two teams on the ice. Uh, but I, I think we can certainly say that when both of their regular rosters will be on the ice as well. Right. So it's kind of fun to get to, um, you know, to, to see some of the depth guys and some of the guys that are battling for roster spots because after all, early on in training camp, that's what it's all about. Um, we're just kind of chatting about whether we'll see you know connor and leon and and darnell tomorrow in seattle and i think we're guessing probably not right Mm -hmm. Uh, why why put them through that through that flight where i think they're flying out to seattle day of and then flying right back out after the game so they probably won't get back to edmonton until you know even if the flight's on time probably 3 3 30 in the morning so why do that to your stars at the at the start of what's hopefully going to be a long season so yeah it was uh it was not a bad hockey game, and we got to see a lot of these bubble players that uh, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and trying to surmise whether or not these guys can uh, find a roster spot or not. Yeah, agreed. I mean, this is that time of year where, I mean, much as we love watching uh, Connor and Leon and the boys uh, 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 put on a show and rack up the points, uh, 
they don't really don't have a lot of motivation to be pouring on their best games in September. Whereas you have these guys that are on the cusp of the of the roster, uh, their term time is now, and their every opportunity is a time to uh, shine if they can. Yeah. So I didn't mind. Like I pointed out in my uh, introduction of my game review, uh, that the top ten Oilers by salary cap all sat this game out. And so, so they, uh, but those guys, I also pointed out that those guys all have a lock on the roster. Yeah. And so that means that at most there were 10 spots left available in the opening night roster for the 20 guys who played tonight. And I think we, we can, uh, we can probably pencil a few more names off of tonight's list, uh, uh, into that final roster. Uh, not least of them being Stuart Skinner, who got to start in that tonight and, uh, Played a pretty solid game for 35 minutes, making 19 saves with no goals against, and looking pretty sharp, I thought, in in the process. Did he not? Uh, I know it's a preseason game, so it doesn't count. But is that not back-to-back Oilers shutouts for Skinner? Because did he not have a shutout on his on, in, shutout in his last game before he got sent down he to did. Bakersfield? He has not been scored on since Jay Woodcroft became head coach. <laughs> there you go. Maybe yeah, I use him I, a little more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought he looked really sharp yeah. uh, tonight, like maybe one of the best Oilers. And there was mm-hmm. there was a while from about the ten minute mark of the first period yes. to you know the a few minutes into the second period where I thought the Jets held the balance of play. Yes. Uh, and it was probably Skinner and some good work by the penalty killers that kept it one nothing at that point. Yeah, well, Oilers definitely had the better goaltending in this game, both Skinner and Calvin Picard, while uh, uh, Winnipeg went with the erratic David Rittick for the entire 60 minutes, and he made a few good stops, but boy, did he look brutal on a couple of the the goals against uh, yeah, big game. So, Dave didn't have a big, big game. Big save, Dave. Yeah, big save, yeah, Dave. He made yeah, a few saves, but I'm not sure any of them were big ones. Um, well, he'd probably want that first one back. And while I really love Ryan McLeod's speed on his goal, that was that was a miscalculation. Maybe a miscalculation yes. of McLeod's speed, but nonetheless, yes. it was a mistake. So yeah, well, yeah, McLeod's speed beat the goalie to the puck. Usually, your speed's going to beat a defender or something, or you can get around and get in, but Riddick thought he could actually come out and intercept the pass and play the puck out, and McLeod got to it before he did it, and Riddick basically took himself right out of the play in the process. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. McLeod looked good, man. He's he's so fast, and he just, he seemed right from the start, I thought, wanting to, you know, just impose his game on the game, and mm-hmm. his game is carrying the puck. Yes, and transporting boy, through the neutral yeah, zone and yeah. forechecking, and he he can just flat out fly, can't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's big and fast. Like he's, I thought his passing was maybe a little bit off the mark, but his puck handling was really good. He made a couple mm-hmm. of really nice one-on-one moves. So uh, uh, he got that goal, and he was on the de facto first line, which really was the only true NHL line the Oilers dressed tonight, uh, with himself at center. Uh, leading the forwards in ice time, I believe, at just under 20 minutes, uh, with Warren Fogel and Yasapol Yarby on his wings. And many people would envision that as a third line. And, uh, yes. When uh, when you, they're all you, ready to roll. Yeah, you know what? I think if Nugent Hopkins ends up in the top six, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that that, that will be uh, the third mm-hmm. line. At least that's that's kind of the way I'm, I'm looking at it. Although it was interesting, they were talking about Fogel getting 
getting a shot on the right side in training camp, but the first preseason game, there he is back on the left side. So, but I mean, a lot of that's just a function of training camp lineups, right? So, right. And they, and they had a one of their top right wingers in the lineup, and really no left wingers. So, like mm-hmm. there was no Kane, no Hyman, no Nuge. So there was a big gap on left wing. So Fogel was obviously uh, um, qualified to yeah. uh, to go into that spot. Uh, on that line of um, of McLeod with Fogel and Pulleyarvi. Uh, my thought was that of the three of them, Pugliarvi had a fairly weak opening game. Yeah. And a little disappointing. I mean, you look at his box cars, no goals, one assist, plus two, and you say, what's not to like? Uh, but I also see no shots, no hits, no takeaways. And I thought a lot of problem clearing his own zone, which yes. normally isn't a problem for him. So if, whether he's playing his way into into, you know, it's just sort of the first game and he'll be better. He sure needs to be after uh, after that showing. And yeah, I didn't think he was particularly assertive in the offensive mm-hmm. zone, but what caught my eye was a, is a couple of cases where he lost battles along the wall and didn't get the puck out, which I'm not used to seeing to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse, while I don't, I don't buy into this, he's the Oilers' best defensive uh, player, but I do think he's very sound defensively, particularly in his own end. So yes. those are were uncharacteristic mistakes of him, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just a, a case of him shaking off some rust. Yeah, I think he's a sound defensive player in the offensive zone too, which is one of uh, mm-hmm. Jay Woodcroft's. Uh, uh, when he talks about how he wants his team to play defense, that was first thing on his list is attacking the puck in the offensive zone, which to yeah. me, well, as a fan of Yesipoli-Arvey, I thought, well, that's a positive sign because he'll see that as a real strength of Yes's game. And some observers, you know, think defense is something that only happens at your own end of the ice. when Not at really, all. It happens by winning puck battles wherever that puck happens to be. and For sure. Not, not uh, you know, not getting yourself out of position in the process. Anyway, I thought, uh, I thought Fogel started a little slow, maybe, but I thought I thought he came on as the game went on, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and and got a nice nice uh, primary assist on on the on the McLeod goal. Um, right. uh, and and at by the end of the game, I thought, okay, that that's that's Warren Fogel, right? You know, it's uh, and it's there. There's going to be a certain amount of guys playing their way into these games, particularly mm-hmm. the veterans who. Yeah, well, that, arguably they, don't have a whole lot at stake, right? Yeah, well, the thing about this time of year is they're very widely different priorities from mm-hmm. one player to the next, right? In regular season game, they're all, they're all focused and giving their best. At this time of year, some guys, well, they know they got the team made. They're maybe working on one particular thing or another. Uh, maybe they're trying one new skill or getting, you know, a chance on the penalty kill or, you know, something. Uh, but... I mean, Leon Drysaddle, for instance, what he does on sep- September 25th is going to have 0.00 bearing mm-hmm. on what kind of season he's going to have. Whereas, given that kind of ice time, uh, let's move on to some of the guys who did get to play tonight because the big guys were out. And we might as well, we've already buried the lead because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the podcast and that's how it often works out. The lead from this game, and I think from camp as a whole so far, including the Penticton Rookie Tournament, is the splendid performance to this point of Dylan Holloway. 
Yeah, I thought in this game and was he first sure did. with a bullet. Yeah, I thought he was the best player in the ice on either team from the very first shift. I think yep. I think I put a tweet out two minutes in, going, "Looks like Dylan Holloway wants to stay," <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he didn't let up, man, and he uh, he played in all uh, in all different. Um, situations as well five on five he was yep. on the power play he was on the penalty kill yep. he took he, he he took at least one draw that i that i saw yep. two draws um, one and one yeah so it's uh it, it looked like jay woodcroft was saying okay let's see what you can do and i think uh holloway one thing i love about holloway he has that he has that uh boyish look of wonder on his face like here here i am in an nhl training camp he looks thrilled to be there and he played like that tonight, you know, and uh, all of his tools were on display. And uh, you can't help but think that um, the Oilers brass and some of the uh, regular players who weren't dressed tonight probably said, oh, I think he could probably help us. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want that guy on my line. Mm. So, you know, of all the players of, that the Oilers have had over the long, long term. I followed the team since the start. The the one sort of comparison player that keeps coming up to me when I'm watching Dylan Holloway, which I'm still learning his game, so this is a very crude sort of first impression. But he reminds me of Asset Tickney. What an interesting and, comparison. And uh, just his his complete game, his compete, his you know his his ability to play on you know like. Both sides of special teams, as you point out. Tonight he played uh, 311 on the power play, 240 on on penalty kill. And again, some of the regulars weren't there, but uh, uh, he he looked just fine in both of those roles. But it's mm-hmm. more just his puck hounding and his his quickness and his ability to create turnovers just by you know by by being aggressive around the puck and having a good stick and pretty good anticipation skills and pretty good wheels, you know, when you put those things together. And, and uh, uh, if you've got a guy that's paying attention out there, you can have a pretty sharp defensive player. And, and uh, I'm fairly confident that he's going to bring that. I have a very, very high degree of confidence that this is going to be a roster player who will help the team at some level, either at wing or at center, top six or bottom six. You know, he's he's got such such a wide range of skills as my friend low tide likes to say that there's there's room for him he's he's the kind of player you'd like to clone and put him in more than one spot you know when 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 you know when he gets up to full speed but he strikes me as he's going to be one of those players where you say well geez i would like to have him on this line and that line how do we do yeah that? yeah <laughs> well you know the interesting thing i found tonight well it's really easy to to fall in love with his offensive play and it was mm-hmm. he was on his horse i mean that was all very mm-hmm. entertaining but if he is to make this team i thought the key moments were were his turns on the penalty kill because if if this kid can make the hockey team um he's not going to be in edmonton to play 6 7 minutes a night right. he's going to have to play on one of the special teams right. and on this oilers hockey team He's not going to be on the power play for the first couple of years. Those slots are filled, right? He'll be lucky if he gets a look on the second team. Yeah. Um, uh, But he is a real smart player. He anticipates really well, has a good stick, and, Mm -hmm. and moves extremely well. All of those aspects help make a good penalty killer. Um. 
And I think he only really started killing penalties in, in Bakersfield last winter. Um, and now granted that wasn't against a full NHL roster tonight, but he looked right at home in that role. If he can be on your, on one of your penalty kill units, well, suddenly there's a, there's a, a possibility he could play, you know, 10, 12 minutes a night instead of six, seven. Well, now you can talk about whether or not this guy should stay in Edmonton or not. Um, and so I'll be interested to see if he can maintain that defensive prowess going forward because it it may be key to whether or not he can crack the roster. Well, there certainly was a lot of uh, uh, positive talk about his performance in Penticton where uh, he was repeatedly referred to as the best player on the Oilers and the Oilers clearly were the best team in the tournament with a 3-0 mm-hmm. record with uh, with three solid regulation wins. Uh, the last two of them by three goals. And, uh, of course, the Oilers did have more, I think, depth of uh, certainly first-round draft talent. But uh, Holloway was the guy, to me, who led the way, and he did that again tonight. So there's plenty of reason to be excited about this guy, even if he's just showing flashes for down the road. Uh, but everything I see now, he's dead set on making this team now. Yeah, looks that way to me too. I mean, we'll see how it pans out, right? But he sure seems like he's he's got a plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, why wait till spring? Do it now. Yeah, it used to be an old ad slogan way mm-hmm. back in the day. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there was all kinds of talk about this guy before he he got invited to camp. What did you think of Vertana tonight? Uh, so so like uh, he was. I mean, you could see that he's an experienced player. Uh, he was he was fairly physical along the walls. He was in decent shooting position. Like he had five shot attempts, and they, I described him as being from the perimeter of home plate. Like they were sort of in the grade B scoring chance zone, but yep. he only hit the net with one of those shots. Like he kept on his best chance. He definitely fired wide on on that. Uh, but that's just one game, tiny sample. Um, you know he's going to make his case. And I'm, you know, I'm not uh, convinced that he's uh, going to move the needle much, but, uh, uh, and frankly, I'm surprised that the Oilers are uh, uh, are uh, the team that decided to take a chance on him after uh, his legal woes, but, uh, but here we are. And I mean, our job at the Cult of Hockey is to judge how he plays on the ice. And yeah. tonight I thought nothing special, but not terrible. You know, he was, he was all right. What'd you yeah. think? Yeah, well, what I like about him being in camp, and I, I alluded to this in my Nine Things column on Sunday, is I like there being another actual NHL player there uh, for other players to have to beat out for a spot. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I tend to think he's a long shot to make the roster, um, mm-hmm. but kind of like Demers on the back end, uh, I like having veterans like that, that, that your younger guys have to beat out. You know, I think that's a really good situation. I think winning organizations are often in that situation. I thought he was okay tonight. I, I think he, I saw his game pretty closely to the way you saw it. Actually, I thought that whole line was decent, but I thought right. a lot of that had to do with Holloway was just terrific. And mm-hmm. I thought Brad Malone delivered what Brad Malone pretty much does every time he hits the ice, which is nothing flashy, um, but he's sure solid and consistent. And, and, uh, was again tonight. So, 
Yeah, well, Brad Malone, he's another guy I went over. They had several. Had an assist and plus two. Uh, he earned an assist on the game winner in the first minute of play with a decent uh, pass into, into good ice. And I think he was trying to hit it forward, and it wound up going back to Nima Linen, who, of all people, <laughs> opened the scoring. Uh, but he had, he had three shots on net himself. He had seven hits in this game. Uh, he was scrumming it up a little bit. When anybody got close to the goalie, he would be pushing them out of the way. Just showing that kind of, you know, veteran physicality and, and uh, uh, team first leadership that he's renowned for, frankly, in Bakersfield. Yeah. And the question about him, to me, is his boots. And he just, you know, he's not that fast of a skater, but he does the right thing a lot of the time. Decent on the face-off dot. Mm-hmm. And... You know, he uh, he didn't hurt his cause tonight, and he is in a, t- uh, to me, a pitched battle between him and uh, uh, Greg McCaig to make the roster by the, by the uh, uh, at least the one template of how they're barely going to get under the salary cap. There's r- room for exactly one of those guys, yeah. and they both have basically the identical cost contract. There's no financial advantage. They both have two years at league minimum, so uh, 762000 so, because when you're literally talking about hundreds of dollars under the, the ceiling, <laughs> yeah. every, every little bit counts. But these two guys are, are tied for salary. So it's just simply going to come down to which guy wins the job. And the keg's been an NHLer for a while, and Malone's been an NHLer on and off for a longer while. Yeah. And only one of them is apt to make the team. But there yeah. probably is room for one of them, where if you just said completely on merit and there was no salary cap, They'd probably both be on the outside looking in. Yeah. But Malone, I think Malone definitely helped his cause tonight. It's not like Jay Woodcroft doesn't know what he can do, but he's well, I was, another I, example of that. I was just going to say that, right? I think all things being equal, even if Malone and McKagan end up playing about the same quality in training camp, uh, Malone is a brand that Jay Woodcroft knows and trusts. And I have right. to think that if everything else is equal, uh, I think that might put him over the top if that if if all that plays out the way you're describing, and I, and I think it 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 may well. So. Right on. So up front, who else caught who else caught your eye in tonight's game? You know, Tyler Benson did. Um, mm-hmm. He looks quicker than he did last year, um, and now maybe it's because he was playing you know against a team that was 50% AHL players. Uh, but you know what? Maybe he put in additional work in the off season and came to, to camp a little bit quicker. But I mean, all the things, and I, I glanced at your 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 game report shortly before we came on, and it was excellent as always. But I agreed with your observation on Benson. All of the telltale things about Benson were there. You know, gets his nose dirty, not afraid to be physical. Will will show up in the scrums. Uh, is is a real uh, sees the ice well as a really good playmaker. We've seen all that before. Mm-hmm. What I saw tonight, which I haven't seen much of, as Tyler Benson's tried to become a regular NHLer, is quicker boots. I don't mean to say he's Ryan McLeod fast. He's not. Right. He never will be. But he was getting around the ice pretty good tonight. And I thought, well, good on you, kid. You know, it's, uh, I think a lot of people in the Edmonton area in particular are cheering for this guy. And I think his odds are a lot longer than they were last year. Um but I thought he had a pretty good showing tonight. But it was his it was his foot speed uh, that caught my eye. Yeah, I thought first step, like a couple times, like the puck came in his general direction and he was gone with it in, you know, 
in, in the right direction and you know take taking advantage of uh, you know um, open ice and, and getting there to it as quick as his boots would allow and then trying to set up place from there so uh, that part was encouraging I love the one scrum that he was in where he was wearing this just big greasy grin the entire, entire time and he and got poked like, a couple looking, times and just looking took it, like right? the victim getting poked and then uh, he got yeah. a poke in of his own that uh <laughs> nobody saw coming up and underneath the yeah the I, I think and so i saw that one yeah it was, it was, it was just it was nothing nothing more than a you know a little backhand slap or what have you but it was it was kind of kind of funny I, i'm I'm a fan of the 20th century enough that uh, I don't mind the occasional scrum and a bit of greasy play. And and Benson, to his credit, he's really added that. He he knows that if he's going to make it, he's going to need to bring every edge that he's got. And if he's an edgy mm-hmm. guy and he doesn't mind uh, pissing off opponents, well, he might as well bring that strength. Yeah. And he we, did we last all... year in his big effort, and I think that we saw it again tonight. Yeah, we all know how 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 good it is to have a player on your team that other people don't like to play against, you know? So it's a, it's an attribute he can bring. What about you? Was there another forward out there tonight that caught your eye in another, a particular way? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I got a bit of a man crush on this guy. I got to admit James Hamblin, mm. man, I like that guy. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen him in, I've seen him in uh, Bakersfield play a number of games and I saw him in rookie camp and I saw him tonight and he just seems to be around the puck all the time, mm-hmm. and he's he's in the he's in the the uh, what the football players would call the strong side, where he is the puck seems to be, and and uh, uh, he's involved in the play. He's got some decent defensive skills, where he's uh, uh, and this is what's going to make or break him. And he himself knows that for all that he was a very good scorer in junior hockey and was a third in the WHL in scoring his final year. He knows that his his road to the NHL is bottom six, and bottom six means uh, ideally you're good on draws. You can you know you can uh, kill penalties. Uh, you don't get beat in your own zone, and you know every once in a while, like he's made a couple of strong defensive plays, not just no mistakes, but uh, actually mm-hmm. plays that. In the rookie tournament, I was uh, impressed a couple of times on that score, and tonight he. Uh, uh, he had one really good chance on a backhand shot uh, that was saved. He had one where he just missed it. There was a really good pass from Benson, and he just missed uh, tapping mm-hmm. on the far side. And then finally, he scored the two nothing goal when uh, uh, he jumped on the re- rebound off of Jason Demers' drive, and the goal. It was a good shot, and the goalie had no choice almost but to kick out a rebound into the slot. He just hammered it in. There was no chance for Riddick to get over and make that second save. And mm-hmm. It's uh, this is a guy who uh, has a half decent uh, uh, goal scoring ability. He had 21 goals in Oklahoma City last night. He had two in Penticton. He had one tonight. Uh, not sure that he's playmaker i'm not sure that he's got enough of all these things to ever be an nhler but i will say that i've seen enough to know that whatever level he eventually finds he will be a good pro at that level yeah yeah i'm kind of the same with him low-end nhl yeah i just i just think you know edmonton's they're pretty deep at center they've they've got these guys Mm. (laughs) connor leon and and ryan were pretty good centermen it's uh uh, but but you know what if yeah 
Um, but if but if injuries crop up, I mean, it's I mean, the the word is out that uh, the organization does like him and they think he's got a shot right. But I'm with you. It's um, he does a lot of things pretty good. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he does anything great. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, he can play wing as well. In fact, that's where he's been lining up at camp. So that's uh, they're trying to make him as versatile as they can. I mean, that's one thing about the Oilers. They got a whole ton of guys that can play both center and wing. Yes. So you never know who's going to get hurt. But if you call up a replacement guy who can also do those things, then that's in his favor. And Hamlin tonight, he was the top penalty killer on the Oilers for t- for ice time. Mm-hmm. And this on a unit that went four for four. So. Yep. And he had a couple of block shots in that uh, in that effort as well. So, uh, just one last uh, young guy, uh, Reed Schaefer, mm. played his first um, professional game. You know, beyond rookie camp, like a preseason first game is often all a kid gets in his first year, and it may be all that Reed Schaefer gets. And <clears throat> I think he learned a few things tonight, and. Uh, <clears throat> High on that list is things that he's going to need to work on when he goes back to junior hockey in the relatively near future. And I'm guessing that he may be on that flight to Seattle tomorrow and possibly even stay in there because, of course, that's where he plays, Seattle Thunderbirds. And I'd be happy to see the team give him a second game already tomorrow night in his home city where he plays Mm -hmm. and then say, great work. You know, all along, you've been locked to have your, you know, big slid back to junior for your final year. Might as well get going because they're already playing league games. And yeah. So. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I thought I thought he had he had some good moments. Um, one particular uh, example where he took a hit along the wall in his own zone to get a puck out, which I thought yes. was I saw that in rookie camp as well. It's nice yes. to see him do that against pros, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect he discovered what a lot of rookies discover when they show up at an NHL training camp. They probably look around and go, wow, this is faster than the eye even thought it would be. Um, and mm-hmm. this wasn't with all the good guys on the ice. So I, right. I suspect what, what he'll be working on over, over the next year of his career is, uh, is getting those legs churning. I think there's, think there's a player there. He has lots of good attributes. Right now, this game's too fast for him. Mm-hmm. But but at just turned 19, that's no yeah. crime. Mm-hmm. You know, that's there's there is certainly that's something he can overcome with, you know, with training and dedication, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but the experience will be invaluable. And, you know, he was in practice. He was often on the McDavid group, which that's that's a good guy to hang around. So uh, mm-hmm. he'll chalk it up to a good experience, I'm sure. But I think we saw the same performance tonight. Yeah. Yeah, promising guy. Like he's big. He's six three, two fourteen. He's got a great shot when he's got time to let it go. Like he's got a very heavy shot from the slot, and he's no stranger to to crowding the crease either. So there's lots yeah. to like about his game, but yeah. it's probably going to take him a while to put the pieces together. And I mean, he already made huge strides. I mean, last year he scored his first what was it thirty two goals he got in uh, in junior. Trying to remember, twenty maybe it was twenty six goals and thirty two assists. Anyway, he never had a single goal before last year, mm. and by the end he was a power forward for uh, uh, Seattle in the WHL finals. Yeah, I I I had a couple of people yeah. who watched that series who said he was Seattle's best player in that series. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, he was so. very noticeable. Yeah, and then 
And of course, 32 overall, very end of the first round, it's going to take those guys a little bit longer as a general rule. You don't usually find a guy there sure. that's ready to make the jump. Yeah, this was all about experience for him, and he's getting that, and, and that's great, and you can look forward to seeing him at camp again next fall. So, right on. Yeah, let's turn to, turn to the uh, to the D, and uh, I know you had, a, you had a general observation on Evan Bouchard. I want to hear more. Yeah, uh, he looks stronger. Maybe it's just me, but it looks like he's got more core strength than he has had before. He just looked he just looked stronger and a little more able to impose his will against mm-hmm. against other players. Uh, I'm not trying to make him out to be you know Adam Larson reincarnated, um, yeah. but he's he's always been big enough to play yes. more that way. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's those last four or five pounds of muscle that make the difference between uh, pushing and being pushed. Uh, And it just felt like he was doing more of the pushing tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, And given all of his other really impressive tools, if he can add that to his defensive game, that's a very good thing indeed, because he was already a plus with the puck. Um, and so, I mean, this one game, who knows, but he, yeah. it, it struck me tonight, just like I thought, oh, Benson looks faster with Bouchard. You know, Bouchard looks stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also just a younger guy who's a year older, which is, as we all know, is going to make a difference too. So, um, I thought he played a good game that, that shot, uh, that went mm-hmm. in off uh, Holloway and in was, was you know, the, the Bouchard bomb <laughs> mm-hmm. that yeah, everybody loves to see as well. He did those great hard, you know, like either right along the ice or an inch or two Mm -hmm. off the ice. They're just perfect deflection shots, but they're hard enough and accurate enough. He can score with them. Um, But yeah, his his just a little bit of of oomph in his game, which I was very happy to see. How would you like uh, the looks of the new pairing with uh, Kulak? You know, uh, funny, uh, Kulak was exactly who I thought he would be. Uh, he was more or less uh, the guy that I watched in the playoffs last year. Um, he's not the perfect player, but you know what? He has the boots uh, yeah. that when there is a mistake or or if he starts a half stride behind, he can make that up. He's that good of a skater. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I really enjoy watching him. I, I think he's a wonderful skater and I really enjoy him watching him get around the ice. He and Bouchard together, uh, not bad. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a, a pairing that we'll see. I think it's possible. Uh, but on this night, um, and you know what? There's a, there's a lot of wingspan there, too, between those two guys. You know, it's, uh, that's, a, that's a lot of arms and legs and sticks that can yeah. get in lanes. Uh, and you don't have to be, you know, Rod Langway to be effective defensively in some of those physical tools that both of those guys possess will, will certainly help them. Yeah. Well, good sticks uh, are, are helpful on the defensive side of the puck as well. And I think that's Bouchard's big strength uh, defensively. Mm-hmm. It's his stick, but uh, uh, Kulak, he has some things in common with Keith in terms of his mobility. And of course, Keith was Bouchard's partner for the line yeah. chair last year. But one thing Kulak's very different from Keith is he defends his blue line Uh way stronger. Keith would tend to give you the line and, and back into the zone. And Kulak is, uh, yeah. uh, he, he likes to 
break that brush up right at the line. And I think it's kind of his zone is along the blue line and just inside of Edmonton's blue line is where he likes to uh, contest and, and win battles. And we'll see whether he's got what it takes to do that a little higher up. Like last year, he was basically third pairing. And this year, yeah. it looks like he's projecting to the second. Uh, but he's just at that point in his career where if he's ever going to make that move, why not now? You know, mm -hmm. uh, turned 28 and he's got the, uh, uh, you know, the experience now. He's still a relatively young guy and now he's got the opportunity and see what he does with it. Well, I think your observation on him is really smart. You know, a, a lot of defensemen like him tend to defend their own zone the way Keith does because they have speed. They're confident that they rarely will get beat to the outside and they use that to their advantage. With him, it seems a little bit different. He uses his speed to close fast on attackers. Yes. Uh, high in that zone, right? And I think that's what you're describing. He yes. just, he uses his speed in a different way, but I agree with you. It's, there is a different end result often. <laughs> and it's usually his guy pinned up against the boards and not able to do too much with the puck. So, uh, uh, so yeah, funny. I'm I'm just laughing because we were talking about the forwards and we got a little ways in before we thought we buried the lead with the mm -hmm. forwards. I wonder if we did the same thing with the defensemen tonight. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, Marcus Niemelainen. I guess you're probably referring to him, and he had yeah. a pretty strong game. He was the second start of tonight's game, behind uh, uh, only Dylan Holloway. I was originally going to name three game stars in my post, and I'd. I'd confidently picked out Dylan Holloway, Marcus Niemelainen, and Stuart Skinner. Right. And then I looked at the actual uh, game summary, and it lists mm -hmm. the three stars. And guess what? Dylan Holloway, mm. Marcus Niemelainen, and Stuart Skinner. So I guess it was obvious. Well, there you go. Probably not, <laughs> probably not worth uh, changing our format for, uh, for something that just underscores what, I mean, I think it was fairly obvious to everyone watching that game that those guys were all having a good night. Yeah, uh, you, you know, 15 minutes. He had the one shot early in the like 41 seconds into the game. And somehow I think it might have hit the shin pad or the one angle made it look like it might have hit the shin pad of the defender. Oh, OK. In past the past the goalie, because otherwise you've got to wonder how did David Riddick let that one in? But yeah, I think it was yeah. going wide and it clipped the defender on the shin pad. But he was more uh, forced defensively. Uh, with six hits and three block shots and just some generally aggressive play. He really lit up a couple of guys with open ice hits, which is always going to be his strength. But Yeah, like I was going to say, several of those six hits were of the thumping variety. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a specialty for sure. And again, well, you know, I mean, he just I, brings a he brings a dimension that, that really no other defenseman in the organization has, right? Yeah. It's... Uh, he, uh, he, every time I see him and, and I think he's, he looks a little more confident with the puck this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be, you know, Evan Bouchard or Tyson Berry, right. uh, with the puck. But if you can at least, you know, get a really good consistent first pass and help, you know, get your mm -hmm. team headed out of the zone, uh, for a defender like that, that's probably all you need out of him. Then we had the two vets, uh, Jason Demers and Ryan Murray, that both played tonight, and they both showed their vetness, mm -hmm. and with just some some of the little tricks that they pull, you know, calmness with the puck, or 
uh, I noticed with Jason Demers that when he had a guy hot on his tail, he was pretty good at doing the head shake, even when the guy was coming at him, you know, from behind and sort of making the guy uh, zig while he zagged and came out with the puck, even just for a half second that he at least could make a play with it without the other guy stick right on the puck. Uh, of the two, I personally thought Demers was the more noticeable in a good way in this game. So did I. So did I. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know what? I, well, I was watching both guys. I thought both guys had moments where I I thought uh, their their lack of relative lack of speed, if I could put it that way, exposed them a little bit. Um, I'm not really surprised. They're they're bubble NHL defenders for for a reason at this right. point in their career, right? You know, so that's that's okay. Uh, um, I didn't think Murray had a great game. I thought he was just okay. But there were times where I thought Demers, I thought, boy, you know, that's uh, that's uh, that's an NHL uh, defender who can move the puck pretty well, right? And uh, I thought he showed pretty decently. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this earlier today, kind of anticipating that both these guys would probably be in the lineup tonight. Right. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago uh, that you'd see a guy like, Fain come into camp and play, right. you know, top four minutes on the Oilers. Well, now these guys are Fain-esque, if you will, uh, but they're battling for the seven and eight positions, which is kind of what you want from a Fain-esque player. <laughs> so it's I, I didn't mind either of their games from the standpoint of, in both cases, we're talking almost certainly about depth guys. Right. Um, probably only one of the two of them are going to make the team. Right. Um, given Demers' history with Jay Woodcroft, I wonder if they offer him an AHL deal and keep him in the organization. He seems mighty appreciative of being given the chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given, you know, one, the relative lack of depth uh, on right defense and... Uh, throw in the fact that um, that the sea monster has has a little bit of an injury right now uh, uh, Harnier, right. Uh you know having a, a right hand shot like Demers around for the first couple of months of the season in the organization and available might not be such a bad thing so I mean one game in um, but you know they, they both look like you can tell both were NHL defenders yes you know yeah yeah yeah, no, that's kind of dripping off of both of them, that they've been here before. It's not their first rodeo, as the saying goes. Yeah. I didn't so. think I didn't think Dmitry Samarukov had had a great game, but I hasten to add, but he played the right side all night. Mm-hmm. He he played his weak side. And and having tried to do that <laughs> when I played, I can tell you, it isn't very easy, especially against pros. Uh, and so I had time for his game tonight. You know, it's uh, thought he was in a in a bit of a difficult position playing his offside. I thought he did okay. He made one particularly nice play in the slot where he he got in the way of a puck that was was coming across. But he did a very good job there. Um, there's a guy that I do not think is going to make this team, and he's going to have to clear waivers. Um, and there's um, a good chance he doesn't. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, given given the way he performed tonight, um, you know, he was he was more than okay. So yeah, yeah. Well, he's played the right side basically the full season that he was in the KHL. 
with, uh, he was playing with a fairly uh, fellow lefty, Klaus Dahlbeck, uh, with Central Red Army. And Dahlbeck played his natural side, and, and Samarkov played on the opposite right side. And he was fairly effective there. And tonight, I thought early there was a couple of outlet passes that it probably didn't help him that his stick was away from the boards. And, and, yep. and But then later, there was a couple of plays where he passed the puck into the interior of the ice. There was a great pass he fed to Holloway, mm -hmm. who was hopping through the neutral zone. And uh, Smarkov hit him just perfect time and weight that Holloway didn't have to slow down at all. And in fact, he wound up basically getting a breakaway on that play because he got the puck with such time and space that he was able to to really ramp it up and take it wide on the D-man, cut in and almost beat the goalie and draw a penalty. Like it was a super play by Holloway, but it was it was made possible by that beauty outlet pass. And I know the coaches are looking for little details like that, but the other detail they're looking for is, can you do it consistently, play after mm. play? And if you can make that pass over and over again, there's probably a spot for you in the National Hockey League, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, so, so I mean, it's it's crowded uh, on the Oilers' defense, and that's a nice problem right. to have. Um, mm -hmm. So a, a, a decent showing tonight, he'll have, as to your point, he'll have to do that a couple more times uh, because by, by, by my count, he's got at least a couple of other players to beat out for him to right. be on the opening night lineup, so... Yeah, well, there's no reason for, especially if he can play right side, there's no reason why he shouldn't get four or five or maybe even six preseason games out of the eight. Because, as you say, the Sea Monster is, is down and out. They only have three right-shot defensemen on the roster uh, proper, and one of those is uh, uh, Cody Cece who hasn't even been on the ice yet since camp started. So he I hear he, by the way, I, I hear he skated this morning, by the way. Oh, good. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. But there's but no I, reason to rush him back into games. A hundred percent agree, yeah. No, if he plays the last exhibition game or the last two, that's that's probably plenty. Yeah, so and with, meantime, yeah, and, and to your point with Samarukov, if you risk losing him on waivers anyway, you'd better find out now what you got. Yeah. 100%. Right, yeah. Hundred percent. So he he had he had some good moments tonight. So what? Well, let's let's turn the page on tonight because as mentioned up front, we only saw twenty of the fifty-two uh, names that there are in camp, of uh, which I think as many as six were, have been hurt. Uh, and I don't think we really need to say anything about the ten guys with the big contracts because we know they're all going to be there. I mean, I got nothing to add on Connor and Leon that we didn't know in June. Uh, but of, of what we've seen in rookie camp and uh, what we've heard from uh, the beginning of main camp and, you know, uh, what we've been able to pick up by whatever means, I know you've got your sources, Kurt, uh, who from the guys that didn't play tonight uh, has the most interesting story to tell? And more well, than one is, is Yeah, well, I, well I'll, I'll, I'll maybe give you a forward and, and a defender. Sure. Uh, on, on forward, I mean, because there's a there's a bunch of players battling for the last couple of forward positions, according to me at least. Right. Um, and the one guy that's in that mix is is Matthias Janmark. Right. Um, and while I've seen some people say, you know, well, you know, maybe maybe he's a guy that they'll end up waving. I have a hard time imagining that mm -hmm. they went out and signed him mm -hmm. as a free agent. It would be highly unusual right. to then turn around and wave yeah. him. 
Um, and I think a guy like that would get picked up. Uh, yeah. Really inexpensive contract, good, useful, uh, reliable NHL player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really interested to see him play in the preseason to see how he does stack up with those other guys on the roster that are going to be battling for positions. You know, how will he look vis-a-vis Derek Ryan? Yeah. You know, how how will he he look, um, you know, vis-a-vis Jake, Jake Vertanen? Uh, how will he look probably more to the point uh, versus Devin Shore? Mm-hmm. I think those are those are probably a handful of players that are after those last couple of jobs. You mentioned Brad Malone. We'll toss him yeah. in there too. Um, so Jan Mark's the one guy that I've, I've kind of got my eye on. Um there's actually two young defensemen uh, who one has caught my eye and the other one I'm told has caught the eyes of the organization. The guy that caught my eye in rookie camp is Max Warner. Um, you were going to say that. Yeah, and he boy, he, he looked sharp in every uh, rookie uh, game that he played. So I'm kind of keen to see where, where he ends up. I think he's going to get signed. Um, and then I've not seen this guy play except for a couple of highlights yet, but according to people who have watched him play, apparently Alex Peters is is having a very good showing uh, at the rink these days. This was a guy, he kind of reminds me, I'm now I'm trying to think of the young defenseman that we drafted and then we uh, and then we lost and he went to Pittsburgh and he ended up turning into a pretty good NHL player. Who am I thinking of? Just John can't think Marino. of his name. John Marino. Um, this is kind of the reverse of that, where Alex Peters was was a Dallas uh, a Dallas draft mm-hmm. pick, third round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's come around and he's a camp invite for the Oilers. Um, this guy um, has a few attributes, including the fact that he's six four, and while he's listed at two twenty, apparently he's he may be even a little a little beefier than that. Um, gets around really good for 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 a big man. Um, um, you know, was uh, 22 points in 29 games in 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 Wichita last year. Um, uh, this is Oilers farm team in the ECHL. Yeah, so this is a guy that's on the Oilers roster here. They say Wichita AHL in the AHL. Yeah, last I checked, Wichita isn't in the yeah. AHL. Um, so um, two leagues below the NHL. Yeah, he's on an AHL contract, Peter. I don't. I don't camp, think camp he's. I, he's on are. a camp invite. I don't think he has an AHL contract yet. That's what I think he might get. Right. Right. Um, not that the not that the Oilers don't have have room for a few NHL contracts. They do, um, but I'd be surprised if at this point uh, they would sign Alex Peters to an NHL contract. They've had a little bit of success signing guys to AHL deals and say, you know, go out and earn yourself an NHL deal. Well, it's basically what happened with, um, with, uh, with Malone. Right. Right. Yeah. Signed an AHL deal and then ended up with, with the NHL deal. So those are the, those are the two, uh, two or three names that I've, I've kind of hearing things about and am watching for over the next week. How about you? Yeah. DeHarney and, and Hamblin did the same thing that, year ago they were on AHL contracts and then during the year they played so darn well that the team decided you know this is a decent bet and, and uh, this was the actual strategy of Keith Gretzky that they wanted to to when they signed guys to AHL deals not to sort of consign them to the scrap heap of all these are 
AHL guys, that's all they're ever going to be, but to actually mm. try and develop them and be aware uh, when things started going right, that let's make a move. And I think I think those were good signings. I mean, the chances of them making the NHL long-term probably aren't that great, but I think it's a nice culture to develop that. You come oh, in, yeah. AHL deal, you're going to get a shot, man. And uh, you play your, you know, you, you you keep working your way up and improving, and uh, we'll give you a shot. I mean, just getting well, an NHL contract is a shot in the arm at, at the very least. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be in an organization where you get rewarded? Yeah. Right? And I, yeah. I think that at the, at, the, at the bottom line, I think that's what they're doing, right? So mm-hmm. You come in, see how you do. Okay, you've played well. Okay, here you are. And, and I think that's probably what we'll see in the lineup in Seattle tomorrow is mm-hmm. – we'll probably see a few players who have had good camps or maybe even played good tonight. So they say, okay, yeah. you're, you're getting another game. You've earned, you've earned another try. Go out there again and see what you can do, right? Because that does seem to be uh, the culture that they're trying to cultivate here. Right on. Well, the guys of interest to me, and I, I, this is a guy I, I, I must shamefacedly admit I know almost nothing about Greg McKegg. Mm. who played, uh, I think he's got 82 games, exactly one season's worth of NHL games in his career. Uh, but I believe all of them are in the Eastern Conference. And I'm not sure I ever saw a game where he was a player, it's certainly any more than a bit player. I mean, he only plays uh, in the past, you know, he's like a 10-minute-a-night guy. Uh, but because I know nothing about the guy, I'm interested to see him play and say, you know, why did they sign him? Like, that was a signing that, to me, came completely out of left field. You know, it came on the first day of free agency, as I recall. Yeah. And, you know, the guy had two goals and three assists last year playing for New York Rangers. That yeah. doesn't sound that great, but... Yeah. Uh, Although, you know what what's... He's, he's got. I, I'm, I'm with you. Although, it's funny, when I, when I heard about the signing... Um, I thought, geez, you know, that was a pretty good Rangers hockey team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I automatically yeah. thought, well, you know, then maybe there's something there. And, and that's probably the depth of analysis that I've got on the guy too, Bruce. Right. But he's, he is kind of that, who is that masked man, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, is, what is he going to be when he shows up? I'll be surprised if he doesn't play uh, tomorrow night. Ah, and while we're at it, I think it's pretty likely Derek Ryan might play tomorrow night yeah. too, so. Yeah, well, last year in the Seattle game, uh, the two kind of veterans that went to Seattle on this day trip that the veterans really hate uh, were Derek Ryan and Kyler Yamamoto. Yeah. Both come from Washington State. Yeah. So I suspect you'll see Derek Ryan, and he'll be playing for keeps too because, I mean, he's the one that's, you know, you talk about Matthias Janmark. Well, those are two guys with identical contracts, and by at least one scenario, that has that's plausible. Uh, there's room for one of the two on the team. And, and uh, they're quite different players. I mean, they're both sort of bottom sixers of, of utility, but uh, Ryan has got the advantage of being a right-hand stick who can play center and, you know, be be a positive in the face-off circle. Yes. Janmark used to play center, and I think one of the problems was he wasn't good at face-offs. Yeah, he was kind of a 40% uh, but, guy, right? And, yeah. and another lefty, you know. So that's a that's an advantage for Ryan. Now that's a player whose game we know pretty well at this point, but I suspect you're right, he'll probably play tomorrow. Maybe Yanmark will too. I mean, the guys that didn't play tonight, uh, other than the big guys, I think you're gonna see 
mostly different team tomorrow night. And so he's uh, uh, he's in a pitch battle uh, for position. And you would have thought over the summer, now that guy's in solid for the second year of his contract, the way he played in the back half of last season. He was a pretty mm-hmm. good player for Edmonton once they found the right spot for him in the lineup and useful on the penalty kill and that besides. But, and on the back end, I'm, I'm going to default to Philip Broberg, who's... Uh, He's got it all to prove still. And the general feeling is that he's going to come in, make the team, take the spot where Keith used to be. Uh, you know, they move guys around a bit where he plays on the third pairing on his natural left side. Um, and he certainly had a, a decent season in the AHL last year. Uh, and yet, when I watched the rookie games, I was pretty nonplussed, I got to say. Uh, I mean, he's he's big, he's fast, you know, he's got the he's got those skills. I didn't really see very good games out of him. And I'm interested to see how he ramps it up against the uh, uh, against the better pros as the exhibition season uh, wears on. I mean, yeah. it's he projects as a player, but I, I just want to see evidence yeah. that convinces me. No, I, I, I hear you, and I don't disagree with you. I love his wheels, right? Mm-hmm. He's a boy. He's, he, can, he is such a good skater. Um, but it's funny. I was thinking about him while I was watching Marcus Niemelainen tonight yeah. and, and thinking to myself, you know, Marcus Niemelainen is far from the perfect NHL player, but he has an impact, Yeah. right? Uh, not mm-hmm. just physically, but because of his physical play, I, I think, you know, Everybody kind of has to have their their head on a swivel mm-hmm. when he's on the ice, and mm-hmm. that's an aspect that, as we discussed before, he kind of brings that nobody else does. Right. Um, I I think if there's another um, player on the roster who might beat out Philip Broberg for that third left defense position, I think it's possible it could be Niemelainen. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't think that, um, that Ryan Murray is going to get better. I think he is who he is. Right. Uh, I think there's a very good chance Marcus uh, Niemelainen will keep getting yeah. better. Now, I think it's quite possible that Broberg does too, right? So uh, I, I agree. I think that left side will be fascinating to watch. Um, I kind of agree with you. I don't think it's, I don't think it's safe to say he's, he's made the squad, even though he projects to. I think right. there's a lot that could happen in the next two weeks. Yeah. Now the thing about uh, about uh, Broberry and uh, Holloway both making the squad is this wrinkle in the rule book about uh, uh, ELC uh, players on entry level contracts with bonuses, as most right. first round picks have, and that if they make the team out of camp and they get declared on the initial roster. Uh, those bonuses, in effect, get pushed off till next year, whatever they wind up paying them, and they only get uh, their straight salary goes on the, against the salary cap. But if they get sent out before the year starts and then get called up during the year, they call up both the guy's salary and his maximum bonuses. Mm-hmm. Which in the case of Philip Rover, he's eight hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars. So that's a guy that, uh, if, if he makes the team uh, out of camp, uh, he costs just over 850 and if he doesn't make the team out of camp and they call him up basically his cap hit doubles mm. so that's 
why most scenarios have him making the team and Holloway's. I mean, it's one scenario is Holloway making the team out of camp and then being sent down the next day. But because his bonuses then are are vetted, so to speak, that he's he's um, when they do call him up later in the season, which is highly probable, both these guys will be on the team at some point during the year. Yeah. But if they have a like a huge extra burden against the salary cap, but the orders are was a dollar fifty away from the limit, you know, I mean, it's just so so tight. Yeah, it's pocket they change. Possibly can. You want to uh, you want to get those uh, those bonuses uh, uh, out of the way uh, for for this season. Yeah, so fun. here's 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 a question for you. I'm not a capologist. I do my best mm-hmm. to keep up with it. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's well, it's math, which has never yeah. been my strength. Um, I I I get all that. It makes perfect sense to me. I understand it. Is there a complication, given that the Oilers are so tight to the cap? Uh, mm-hmm. That they'll, there's a pretty good chance they're only going to be able to carry 21 players. Right. Well, then, how does it make it more difficult to to basically just paper those two guys for a game, to 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 move on to move off move away from the bonus structure and then move them down? Well, if you right. only got 21 players on your on your roster, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly you're 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 with those guys, you're down to 19. Right? I, well, I'm just wondering call, how much of a complication some, that costs. You call someone else up to take their place, but the trick is that if you're saving the guys with the bonuses on the entry-level contracts, so these are the guys that were already waiver-exempt. Mm-hmm. What you're going to have to do to get down to 21, if you're keeping guys that are waiver-exempt, is you're going to have to expose guys who aren't waiver-exempt yep. to pair your roster down. This is where a guy like Samorkov is in is in deep. Yes. Uh, and But potentially... Uh, According to this one uh, very credible model proposed by Hart Levine, uh, and when I say credible, I say on Tuesday he was on Bob Stoffer's show, Oilers Now, uh, predicting that Ryan McLeod would sign a hmm. one-year contract for $798,000. He did not say $800,000, hmm. which is what it seems like. It's just a rounding error, right? Well, no, it's not an error. Because by the scenario that uh, that Hart proposed there, with that seven hundred ninety-eight thousand dollar contract on the roster, the artist would be something like one hundred and sixty-five dollars below the NHL salary cap ceiling. And hmm. uh, so it's just that tight that if he was making eight hundred and not seven ninety-eight, uh, there would be another player they wouldn't be able to have room for, they'd have to do it different. So they, they yeah. literally cut it as close as they could. Uh, but by doing so, that makes it fairly transparent that that may well indeed be what they're looking at. I mean, yeah. it's possible that they still trade somebody during camp. And all summer we talked about the same four names, Yesipoli, Arvey, Kyle Yamamoto, Warren Fogel, and Tyson Bear. Yeah. And basically the four guys that are between two and five million because uh, all the other guys are one and a quarter or less. Yeah. And there's just not enough savings to be had there. And then all the guys that are five million plus seven guys, they are locked to stay. Like there's no yeah. way they're moving on from any of those. I mean, they just signed most of them. And the ones mm-hmm. they didn't just sign are Connor and Leon. I mean, they're not yeah. those guys. <laughs> so, so there's just relatively few options. Uh, and that said, I, 
I really don't like the idea of, you know, going with a 21-man roster for any length of time mm-hmm. because you can't, I mean, guys get hurt and you get, yeah. you know, you get a couple of I- injuries where the guy is day-to-day, but you have two guys that are day-to-day and you've only got one mm-hmm. guy in the press box. Well, yeah. now all of a sudden you're going into a game and you've only got 19 players. And after one game, my understanding is there's a wrinkle that you can fill an injured spot with a minor league guy as long as he's making 800000 or less. So just almost basically rock minimum, bare minimum, or just, just a few dollars above the minimum. So you can kind of stop the bleeding, but mm-hmm. it's so, so close. And unless the guy has like got a serious injury that you're going to put him on long-term injured reserve, you've got to still pay him, and he's still up against your cap while he's on short-term yeah. injured reserve. And, you know, yeah. I mean, two injuries the first week. I mean, you might not survive the first week without having a couple yeah. guys banged up. So I share the same con- Yeah, I, sh- I share the same concerns you do. I think the one saving grace in a very difficult situation is the fact that this team has a pretty good track record of going 11 and 7. Yeah. Right? Uh, a good track record yeah. and a coach that's not the least bit hesitant to do it and yeah. and you have the uh you have the roster that can pull it off. Uh so I think that helps, but I'm with you. It's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a pretty high wire that they're going to walk. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well if you go in 12 and 7 on your roster and of course, the two goalies. That's your twenty-one man roster. Well, that that allows you, with all healthy, you have a choice between twelve and six or eleven and seven. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure who they have on the defense that they would say, okay, you're going to play left wing for a night, yeah. uh, Strutty. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure who who that guy is on this team. Like the D men play D. Yeah. And and uh, so, but eleven and seven has been proven by Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson to be a viable strategy that can work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and of course, one of the main reasons it's viable is is you. It just means you've got those three centers that are on the ice for an extra couple of minutes a game, and right. that's not a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. I guess where you'd run into uh, problems again is if if this happens around back to backs. Yeah, you know, because then then that kind of that you can i think you can run 11 and 7 one night but would you do that in back to backs i'm not so sure yeah well and then you've also got this situation where bakersfield is not exactly uh, st albert to edmonton you know it's not yeah. like calgary or or, uh, or winnipeg or, or montreal where the farm team is you know a bus ride short bus ride away a taxi ride away yeah. you know they got to come across the border or a lengthy flight flights there's no direct flight uh so there's no sort of quick turnaround on a emergency call-up no the silver lining is is that sounds like all all the border restrictions will probably be gone if not tomorrow morning soon soon afterwards uh but but i'm with you it's Mm -hmm. it's still the flight and the arrangements and all all that stuff absolutely so yeah and they and they have i mean even the team's you know, Calgary or Vancouver, what have you, when they're on the road, they're going to have the same kind of problem calling players up. But it's not like they're both practicing in the same building. Like most of the Edmonton's the only Canadian team. In fact, I think they're the only team in the entire league that has uh, the main team in one country and their farm team in the other. Yeah, I can't think of another one. You might be right. 
So that's uh, uh, the, the cap roster situation by Hart. He had it boiled down to one of Malone or McKeg had to be on the team, and one of Janmark or Ryan had to be off the team, that there wasn't room for them. And I threw out the wrinkle that they could also potentially waive uh, Warren Fogel rather than Janmark or Ryan. And only the same amount get, they can bury in the minors on these guys. Once you're above 1.125 million, that's all you can bury in the minors. So right. whichever yeah. guy they send down, they're saving uh, a million and a quarter against the cap, and they're likely replacing that guy with a $760,000 player like Malone just because it's so close. Mm -hmm. So they can really choose a different guy, and the thought being, well, nobody would probably take Fogel on waivers, or if they did, it actually solves the problem for Edmonton that it gives mm -hmm. them cap space. Because if he gets claimed on waivers, all of a sudden that buried cap that they would carry for him would go away. His right. contract would be gone. Mm -hmm. So I think he's probably better than those guys. Uh, whether he's 1.5 million better than those guys is a different question. And of course, when we're talking about salary cap, uh, it's such a huge factor in today's NHL. It's just become more and more so over the years of the cap era. Well, and I agree. It's all in the margins. You can have a good hockey player at one price, but another yeah. price is a liability. Yeah. Well, look at yes, yes, you pull Yarby. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at, at his contract today, if he ends up in the in the in the bottom six, that yeah. contract's a bit of a problem, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, it's the same contract as Fogel, and he's a he's a bottom six player who's getting paid at a, you know, a little bit out of that pay grade, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. people are going, well, we kind of like him as a player. I mean, the good news in all this, Kurt, that all of these guys are good hockey players. We're not talking about being stuck with a guy, you know, James Neal, uh, yeah. for all that he had fine qualities and there was a reason he was a highly paid player by the time he came here he was a five and three quarter million dollar player who the next year was an nhl minimum guy who got waved out of the league yeah 100 percent. you know and so you're what do you do with that you just you're, you're stuck with eating something no matter what, whether you buy the guy out whether you trade him and you retain or whether you trade him and take cap back when they trade him with a bunch of sweeteners you know they're, they're packed as a liability and i'm just not i mean the orders are well paid but at least the structure is top down it makes sense yep you know and it's the best guys make the most money mm -hmm. and, yep. there's, and there's no cases of somebody who's just grossly uh grossly overpaid i mean they 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 moved on from cassian for that reason this summer and they did cost them some sweeteners and Fogel is kind of the next guy in that category, you know, bottom six winger. So not really a, what we call a core 12 player. And so he's by $1.5 million, uh, the, uh, the highest paid player who's not core 12, unless there's some sort of wiggle room on what you think of Tyson Berry, but yeah. it's, uh, it, it's a, uh, I guess it's a nice problem to have. I think it is, right? I, I think it speaks to the quality of your club. roster, right? Yeah, for sure. As James Neal, as a, for instance, is, was a player who had gotten past the point where he yeah. didn't much help. And, the, mm -hmm. and he had you know, a way bigger cap hit that was way out of line with uh, mm -hmm. what he could deliver at that point. Related or not, I don't have the stat sheet in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I saw both Fogel and Pugliarvi take PK shifts tonight. 
You I got did. that right? Yeah, yeah, you did. And uh, I do have a stat sheet, and it's only, it was 28 seconds for Pugliarvi and a minute 16 for Fogel. So a couple Fogel, for him eight, and eight one for Yossi. On so. Yeah, so, yeah. So. Had eight minutes on the kill, and the young guy, Schaefer, Borgo, <clears throat> Jake Chason, who I thought had an okay game. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jake Virton and none of those guys played any time on the on the PK at all. But the rest of the guys seem to get at least one or two or more shifts. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> with I, Holloway being the huge exception of the young guys and uh, and uh, Hamblin that play, you know, they were on the sort of top two penalty kill units. What did so, Philp get for PK time? Philp got uh, 32 seconds, so just really one shift. You know, he wasn't bad tonight. I, I was as watching him. I thought, you know, when you see him, I th- thought he hunted pucks pretty well and created some chances. Plays a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, solid and smart uh, hockey game. You know, he, mm-hmm. he. I don't see many big mistakes out of him. My big thought really wasn't so much the his opportunity to make the hockey team. I don't think there's any chance. I think he'll, right. he's going to be in Bakersfield. But you know what it does do? It sure speaks to the quality of of the Golden Bears program. That that a guy can you know can go from that program to this. Right. Um, I, I I really think you know kudos to the guys that are running that university program there because it's uh, that's a. Judging by the trajectory of this player, that's clearly a a, uh, a quality program. Yeah, well, I, I did the write-up on Philp in our summer prospects list. And when it came to finding a comparable, uh, I had to go all the way down the Oilers' uh, alphabetical listing to Derek Ryan. <laughs> As a guy who played for the University of Alberta, who... You know, I mean, all those guys who do make it, 100% of them are late bloomers. Yeah. Because they're generally guys that go right through junior and even an overage year junior, and then they slip over to university hockey. And if they just keep getting better and better, then those are the few cream of the crop guys that get a chance. Well, Derek Ryan kept getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And guess what? He played in Europe for, I think it was five years after U of A. And then one full season in the AHL before he was NHL ready. And he just kept getting better right into his late 20s and yeah. early 30s. Well, you and know, Noah Phil, he's going to get that one year in the AHL without the five years in Europe. So it's a tall ask. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's big. He's got, you know, right shot. He's pretty good at stripping pucks, as you point out. He had three, yeah. three takeaways in this game, one of them that resulted in a goal. And uh, smart. He seems to be in good position. I just, I don't know. He's got the boots. Yeah. But he's, uh, he's got some game for sure. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, hey, before we call it a night, we mm-hmm. didn't, uh, we didn't plan this, but I thought it'd be fun to ask you anyway, anyway Go for it. Like, because you're such a, such a marvelous uh, historian of, of the Oilers uh, dating back to their, to their inception. Um, so the, uh, the Oilers hall of fame, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm a, big proponent of and I don't yeah. think either one of us were surprised with with Ryan Smith and I think Lee Fogan was a great choice if you were to pick one other player and one other builder to go in next year off the top of your head who would you pick oh boy uh well I'm yeah I got a list of guys from each decade you know 
that I think in, in the fullness of time will get considered and probably uh, selected. Mm -hmm. uh, I said to David, he asked me a similar question before, but it was players. And I said, uh, uh, Randy Gregg and Charlie Huddy, uh, two stalwart defensemen from the 80s dynasties who each won five Stanley Cups in this town. So that, yep. that floats their boat as far as I'm concerned. They're both real solid players. And, and I was a little surprised that Fogelin was, was picked. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, it's fair. You know, it's, mm -hmm. he deserves it. <sighs> so those are kind of my default players. And my real dark horse uh, Hall of Fame player who probably won't get picked, but who I'd like to at least see them consider uh, is the great Norm Ullman, uh -huh. who played for the Oilers, WHA Oilers, for two seasons in the 1970s at the very end of his stellar mm. career, uh, where he played 20 NHL seasons without, uh, uh, and he played them for either Detroit Red Wings or Toronto Maple Leafs. Or the Leafs, he yeah. Signed here out of out of Toronto. But what I like about Ullman, and this is where the history part kicks in, is that he is the best candidate of guys who connect from the Oilers of any era, WHA in this case, uh, that also connects all the way back to the Edmonton Flyers that won the WHL championship in 1955. And wow. indeed, before that, he played for the Edmonton Oil Kings in the <laughs> early 50s. And I just think there's a real nice sort of link across the history of hockey in Edmonton. And he had such a stellar career. And he had one great season in Edmonton uh, right at the end. And then his last season, he was clearly running out of juice. Mm -hmm. But uh, that, that's he's sort of my ultra dark horse. But I'm a, I'm a big WHA fan, and I like to see that uh, that aspect of the team's history get acknowledged and, and credited. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm the same as I as I think you know. I'm a I'm a huge WHA fan, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I and I'd like to see uh, a little bit more of that reflected mm -hmm. in this in this Hall of Fame. And I think we will over time. So, well, by my math. Uh, we got three WHA guys up in the banners already because uh, Glenn Sather got his start in Edmonton as yeah. a WHA Oiler and he became coach of the WHA yeah. Oilers. Wayne. Wayne Gretzky came yeah. here and played in the WHA and he was a superstar in his one WHA season. And of course, we got Al Hamilton in there. So it's yeah. fairly well yeah. represented. But but uh, anyway, Norm, it's a, still going strong. I think he's 87 years old now. Mm -hmm. Came from uh, Provost, Alberta, so he's got a uh, uh, strong connection in this province. That, and I think that one of the purposes of this Hall of Fame is sort of to, to just to acknowledge and recognize that that history, and that would be a kind of a unique way to do it. Yep. As for builders, uh, put the bill in builder. I mean, uh, Bill Hunter. Yeah. That's my yeah. vote. <laughs> yeah. And he's already acknowledged, you know, Hunter, Hunter and the Lynx. That name didn't happen by accident. And certainly his sweater number 72 did not happen mm. by accident. It's not 79, it's 72. And that's when Wild Bill came on the scene with the Oilers and put professional hockey back, back on the map in this town. It stayed here for 50 years. And a lot of people don't, don't recall, you probably do, mm -hmm. uh, that before the Oilers, he actually made a, a bid to bring an existing NHL team to Edmonton. It was Pittsburgh, wasn't it? 
Yeah, well, he had, yeah, yeah. He, and then he tried to bring St. Louis Blues to uh, Saskatoon. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was a that was the year that St. Louis forewent all of their draft choices and just didn't show up at the draft. That was the, did not do their long-term prospects. They were winning. owned by Purina, if I remember right. That sounds it was, right. It was a dog of an organization at the time, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all of that. And the other, I don't know if he qualifies as a builder. I know he's not a player and he def, definitely belongs, deserves consideration and that would be Joey Moss. Mm-hmm. Pretty. I thought he might actually get in right away in this first group, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he will be considered. He, they're going to honor him in some fashion, but I mean, there's uh, there's a long connection yeah. between Joey and almost anybody who's ever played here, from yeah. Wayne. To no Conor, kidding, right? You the know. threads cross back so, and forth for sure. They do. Yeah. So um, I, I think he's. Uh, they they got to figure out how they want to do that, but I, you know I. Surely yeah. he's uh, he's fondly yeah. remembered by uh, pretty much the whole damn city. A hundred percent. I'll give you one more name uh, who I think you'd class as a builder, John Muckler. Yeah. Right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So coach to Stanley Cup champion in this burg, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But the Norm Allman thing, I knew I could count on you for one of those stories. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, the 1954-55 Edmonton Flyers in particular, the roster on that team is absolutely fascinating. They had Glenn Hall, uh, Norm Allman, Johnny Busick, all of whom are full-fledged mm. players, members of the, of the Hall of Fame. They had Al Arbor, who became a Stanley Cup uh, four-time champion Stanley Cup uh, coach who's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, they had uh, 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 Keith Allen and uh, uh, Bud Poyle, who oh, were yeah. the management team of the original Philadelphia Flyers. Interesting mm-hmm. name choice there, Philly. Mm. Uh, and they also had the super, uh, super scout uh, Jerry Melnick, who was a Flyers scout that uncovered Bobby Clark. Uh, he was on that Edmonton Flyers team. There's just famous names up and down the list. And, and mm. uh, like I say, I mean, uh, Glenn Hall is, uh, you know, widely recognized one of the greatest goalies who ever played this game. He won two WHL championships because it was he was behind Terry Sawchuk in the uh, Detroit Red Wings organization when Detroit was winning cups. Edmonton was Detroit's farm team. Mm-hmm. There six NHL teams, and each of them had one goalie. I think it's tough to break in NHL as a goalie now. You know, you're behind one goalie, and if he was Glenn Hall or Johnny Bauer or Jacques Pond or Terry Sawchuk, you know, pretty hard for anybody else to get a foot in the door. No kidding. I had the privilege of of sitting beside Glenn Hall in the press box when I covered the Flames for years, and let me tell you, that was an educational experience. He was a (laughs) he was a very wise and very giving and generous man with his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot about watching hockey from sit, just sitting beside Glenn Hall and listening to him. So, yeah, I believe it. I took a, a coaching clinic that he offered uh, many years ago uh, when I was like a 16 or 17 year old kid who was trying to help coach a peewee team. And, and my friend and I went to this and Glenn was the, uh, was the keynote speaker. And, uh, and uh, he put us at ease with some 
ribald comment in the first 30 seconds of his uh, <laughs> and he, he was famous for saying what was on his mind and whoever yeah. happened to be and whoever happened to be within earshot well <laughs> so anyway he, he's uh he's a wonderful story in his own own right with a with a fantastic career anyway that that uh uh that history linked back to the 50s is mostly forgotten you got a few old geezers like me that can still <laughs> that 55 i mean that's the year i was born i didn't see this team i just know that they were there and that they were right. and what they subsequently went on to do was which has become star players coaches managers scouts executives uh in in the sport and so It'd be nice to kind of tie that in somehow, even though we're not Oilers per se. That was pro hockey in Edmonton, even before yeah. we had the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, yeah. great stories. Oh, I think so. I think there's a wonderful history to the game, and then we got a wonderful history in this city that we should be celebrating, which is why I'm delighted that the Oilers are doing this second um, level, shall we call it, of Hall of Fame, local Hall of Fame that doesn't have to be hockey hall of fame to even be considered which is the yep. way it's been for too long it's high time the ryan smiths and lee fogelman's and charlie huddies and randy greggs and doug waits uh <clears throat> and on and on that uh uh they get their they get their moment i'm like with you see, my friend I'd like to see yep. the whole mgm line mm -hmm. got them in there <laughs> <laughs> a case will be made for the uh for uh, certain members of the Oilers Investors Group, too, at some point. Case can be made yeah. without them, the team wouldn't still be here, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, Cal Nichols would obviously be the... Right, I was thinking of Cal in particular. Yeah. The, the, um, uh, the focal point, or you could simply consider the EIG as a group. Mm -hmm. Say, we're just putting all 37 of you in under yeah. one entry, you know. We should be on the panel, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> we should lobby. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure they're getting lots of ideas, and maybe they watch a Call the Hockey's podcast, Kurt. Maybe so. so. Maybe so. <laughs> anyway, I think that's probably as good a point as any for us to, to wind up this uh, chat, unless you've got something uh, something else bubbling under. No, I think uh, I think we we went on ad nauseum for a while, but that's kind of fun because it's our first real opportunity, you and I, to do so in a long mm -hmm. time. So it was it was a hoot. I enjoyed it as always. So. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to say thank you very much, Kurt, for contributing. And uh, uh, we'll not sure if we'll do another one before David gets back, but uh, we've got so much, so many games going on this next little while that we've got mm -hmm. our plates full with uh, actual hockey action, which is yep. really where we want to be, I think. I'll be on call if you need me. Okay. Well, thanks for that. And thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of The Cult of Hockey. 